You're listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. We are joined again by Thea. To hear the first and second part of Thea's story, you can go back and listen now to our previous episodes. Uh, Once again, before we get started, I'd like to begin this episode by saying that this podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience or triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. All right. Welcome back, Thea. Hello. Thanks for sharing your story so far. It's been incredible, honestly, to listen to. Hey, I got to listen. That's true. That is true. Uh, So this this last little bit, we're going to talk about uh, reacclimation to civilian life. Um, You've kind of talked about it in the first and second episodes, kind of where you are now, um, which is a very good place, I would say. Um, You've dealt with a lot and you've come through on top, which has been, I think, absolutely incredible. So how long ago again was it that you got out of the military? I got out in February of 2014. So almost six years. I can't believe next year is going to be 2020. Wow. You're, yeah, it's been six years. Holy <laughs> crap. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Almost as long as you were in. <laughs> Just about. Yeah. Wow. It sure has. <laughs> it's crazy how it happens like that. It really, well, Life. Yeah, I just really started living life about four and a half years ago, though. So I'm just going to count that time. <laughs> relate to that. What were some of your biggest challenges reacclimating to civilian life? Um, for me personally, I my home is on the West Coast. And um, because of my ex-husband uh, getting primary custody of our kids, as well as getting kicked out of the military for the whole... Lackland sex scandal stuff. Um, he got out of the military before I did. So he took my kids from Texas and he moved to New Hampshire. Um, for four months, he was here with the kids. I was able to fly up here and see them twice. Um, I had, uh, I had, uh, I had a dirty UA and I was trying to battle it with a med board. And I'd been going through that for about eight months. Um, I was trying to get leniency because of what I'd been through with my ex-husband um, and that's the time frame when I was sitting in the corner office in the basement, no window doing data entry. Um, and it finally came, I, I came to a point where, um, I stopped fighting the battle. I told them I'm done, kick me out. I don't give a crap. I'm done. And, um, three days later I was out. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I packed everything I owned up into a U-Haul and I threw my, my SUV on a trailer in the back and I drove all the way from Texas to New Hampshire in about 13 hours. Um, and I got here not knowing a soul in the world, except for my ex-husband and my kids. It was the middle of winter. There was 10 feet of snow on the ground. Um, it, the, the the place that I had leased, it was, you know, over phone calls and online. It wasn't ready yet. Um, it, it was, uh, I didn't have anywhere to go. They luckily they put me up in a hotel. Um, but I, I didn't have in the military, everywhere you go, you have a new family and you get out and you don't, 
you, you don't have anybody. And I mean, I wasn't home. I, I had nobody to help me move in. Um, luckily, since I'm a cute girl, there were the people that were shoveling the snow <laughs> and they actually came and helped me move all my stuff inside. I got so lucky um, not having family or friends or support or the VA or because of the way that I got out, I didn't go through taps. Um, I, I didn't get set up with anything. I was given papers and three days later I left. That was it. There was nothing else. And so no transition assistance, no VA benefit briefings, none of that stuff. Nothing. Not a damn thing. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, just the, the feeling alone that was. And, and also the other part was that there's no structure out here. Like there's no <laughs> things are disorganized and they're messy and there's nobody that's held accountable and there's no, it just, it, it's, it's weird. It was weird. It, it was, it was very difficult for me because when I got out, I actually, I became a service advisor, um, at a car dealership. Um, being that I destroyed my body in the military, I couldn't really be a mechanic anymore, but that was the next best thing. And, um, I, I just remember the shop. And the shop, like the way that people keep their tools and they show up late for work and, you know, be eating out on the floor, just all these things that just seemed so wrong to me. And it made me uncomfortable, actually. It really made me uncomfortable. I don't know that I've actually adjusted. I, it still makes me uncomfortable, to be honest. I don't like it. <laughs> I like order. <laughs> yeah, there are some things that are going to be hard to let go of. And, and, and rightly so. There's sometimes there's really no need to let go of them. So, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. There's nothing wrong with having thing in order. When was it that you reached out to the Homeland Heroes? Um, so, um, during my military career, um, on top of all the injuries that I have, um, I had a crown that needed to get replaced. And I just so happened to get lucky enough to end up in the chair of a prosthodontic. And he was a captain going through his training. And he asked me if I would be interested in having a full mouth reconstruction um, due to using methamphetamines for eight years. My teeth were completely fucked. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah. So for about a month, about a year straight between my hip getting fractured and my mouth getting redone, I was on pain medication for just about a year straight. Um, when I went to Texas, um, I continued to do drug seeking through doctors. I'd get as much prescribed to me as I could. I would find them in people's medicine cabinets. That's how I ended up popping dirty on EUA. Um, but then I got out and, um, there's, there was no doctors. There was no, I didn't have any friends. I had no way of accessing it. However, in new England, it's the heroin epidemic. And it didn't take me too long to, to have that come across. Um, and um, I, I ended up uh, addicted to heroin and um, I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to go through a six month uh, inpatient rehab program in California. And so I did that. And during that time frame uh, was when I finally got actually correctly diagnosed and we started playing with medications to get myself stable. Um, and it, it's still like that. This is four and a half years ago. Um, when I came back, um, I had nothing. I, I had pretty much sold everything I had um, to go to California. I wasn't going to put it in storage. 
And so um, I didn't have any, I didn't have any furniture. I didn't have a bed. I didn't have anything else. And um, I got connected with the VA and they, um, they gave me contact information for Easter Seals, um, which is another organization. And um, Easter Seals, uh, they connected me with Julie um, for furniture. And so I reached out to Julie and um, it's been history ever since me and her, we connected instantly. She's an amazing person. What she does is incredible. I, it makes me almost cry. So uh, when I talked to Julie, um, me and my kids were sleeping on an air mattress and, um, and I asked her for beds for my kids. And um, not only did she provide beds for my kids, she also gave me a bed. And that was just like one of those things like, oh my God, like nobody can really quite understand how it feels to be able to have that provided for you. And, and after that, like me and Julie, like I, she's provided so much for me that the house that I have now, pretty much everything in here is because of Julie. She, she's, you know, I, I try to give her everything that I can and support her and, you know, the Homeland Heroes. I, I'm sure that if they've made this much difference in my life, I can only imagine how many other people's lives that they've made a difference in. Um, with my dad just moving here from Oregon, he's um, he's disabled. He's got neuropathy in his legs. He's got severe arthritis. And I live on the third floor, um, which has been difficult. Julie got him an adjustable bed. He's a veteran as well. Um, Julie got him an adjustable bed and a big recliner. And it just, <sighs> there's other organizations that I've um, been, uh, the it's the Salem Women's Club, but they do a lot of stuff with veterans as well. And they adopted me and, and my kids uh, for the year, provided us with Christmas um, and just, the VA too, like just, I, um, when I got back from California, um, the opportunity to use heroin again, uh, unfortunately was readily there just because everybody here was doing it. And my secret to staying away from that stuff was not knowing anybody who knew somebody who did it. I didn't have that as an option. And so, um, I went to the VA and I said, what am I going to do? Help me out here. So they got me started on Suboxone and um, with the Suboxone program, it's also, um, it's it's very highly monitored and regulated and um, uh, groups all the time. And I constantly talk to my doctor and um, over the last few years, my medications have been um, tweaked and adjusted to the point where I get to be fulfilled and happy and feel like an actual person today. And before this, I can't think of a single time in my life that I actually truly felt okay without being on drugs. Like I actually like, I'm happy. And it's not because of an influence of some kind. It's just, I get to be chemically stable. <laughs> so I know you speak, spoke highly of, of the VA. Um, can you elaborate a little more on that experience? Is what specific programs have you found um, that do really help that maybe you haven't touched upon yet? Um, yeah, with the VA, they have so many different connections. It's not just going to the doctor. Um, they can refer you to every and any agency for anything you need, um, as well as every single person that I ever saw, doctor, nurse, anything else, they were fully knowledgeable um, of where to send me if I needed help with something else. Um, and 
I know some people have had some bad experiences and actually I did somewhat in the past as well. Um, but it's come so far, even in just the last few years, um, with appointment times being available and days being available and, um, uh, promises being fulfilled. Um, and you know, all, all I have to do is say, Hey, I need help. And there's 20 people there. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And, you know, it's, I mean, not exactly like that, but, um, and it, you know, you, I never feel like I'm a burden. I never feel like I have to jump through hoops. Um, it's, I mean, there has been times that they haven't been able to do anything for me here with my hands. I needed another surgery. Um, and it's all screwed up because I had two surgeries on it already and there wasn't a hand specialist in the area. So they had to like send me down to Brockton. That was kind of a nightmare, but ultimately they were able to give me what I needed. And on top of that, they now, um, you can actually see I, uh, I'm 90% uh, service connected disabled. And so I'm not quite sure how many benefits I have versus, uh, you know, a veteran that doesn't have that, but, um, they, they have a, a, a program now where I'm actually able to pretty much see any civilian doctor I want. Um, I actually don't even have to get like a referral. I just have to call in for an authorization. Um, and it's that, that's something that's fairly new. Um, but it, that, that makes a huge difference. The closest VA to me is a half hour away, which isn't that far, but when you work 60 hours a week and you have two kids, it, it is far. And so being able to have a doctor that's right around the corner for a chiropractor or whatever, um, it makes a big difference. Yeah, the Mission Act has um, really freed up a lot of vets to be able to get get help when they need it, as opposed to waiting a lot of times, you know, the VA can get full and you're waiting for an appointment where the new program, actually, you can go outside of the VA. I see an orthopedic specialist about 30 minutes from my house as opposed to driving over an hour to the VA. And it's their top-notch orthopedic um, specialist, which is really awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it definitely is a lot lot different than it was before and it's it is so much better i mean even just being able to go to an urgent care close to me versus even if i had to go to the emergency room i mean unless i was about to die i had to call in for an authorization or i had to go all the way out to manchester to go to their urgent care for them to send me to a hospital or whatever the case might be and so yeah it really it it is it is absolutely wonderful could either of you elaborate um, for those that might not understand, like what the VA does? Um, and Dave, you mentioned the, I think the Mission Act. Um, can you elaborate a little more on what that means for veterans and um, people in the military? It's a program that allows people who are 40 miles or more over to that from their VA to actually receive care within their community from a doctor or a specialist within in their, in their community, rather than have to travel all the way down to the VA. Um, it's just a means of getting a lot of times it allows them to get faster care as well. So prior to this, veterans weren't able to get care unless they had possibly like maybe um, private insurance or something like that, they had to go to the VA, is that correct? 
private insurance or they'd have to go to the VA and then get a referral outside of the VA if the VA did not have that particular specialty. Yep. Which and then trying to get the VA to pay for it afterwards. Oh my God. Yep. I had to get a congressional one time to get them to pay a bill because they coded it wrong. Right. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of veterans, I think they don't go and get care because of that. And so now they actually will get help or get care. Yeah. A lot of them don't want to deal. I mean, it's not like it was, it's definitely gotten a lot better. Um, but at one time, just the wait to get care was horrendous. And, 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 it, and I don't want to get political here, but there are people that clamor for socialized medicine. Well, they need to take a look at the VA system because that's exactly what it is. And it, it, when, you, when you put a lot of people in that system and you don't have enough resources for those people, it clogs it up. And it takes a lot of time to get the care that you need. And a lot of vets, you know, Thea, you're right. A lot of vets just stopped because they didn't want to deal with it. Um, and yeah. it's just the way, the way it was. It's got, like I said, it's, it's improved greatly. And part of the reason why I moved where I moved is because of the care I received at the VA. And, and you know, doesn't mean there hasn't been hiccups. You know, I personally fired four doctors <laughs> and they looked at me funny when I did it. But I'm like, no, this is my health care, not yours. You're fired. Give me somebody else. <laughs> no, but it's it has, my- it's improved greatly. Yeah. And they, they now have access to care. Uh, the, the mental health department, I think, is bigger than any other department in the VA now. And they have access to care. The hours that they have are crazy. Like they're they're available all the way from like 7 a.m. and to, some of the groups go till 8 p.m. Um, and, and they have support for everything and anything. And if they can't offer it right there, they have direct connections with agencies that can. That's fantastic. There's there's such a stigma, I think, around well, I know uh, around mental health. Um, so it's it's good that there's so many programs that are proactively trying to help with that and take that stigma away. Sometimes it can be really, really hard just to reach out for help in the first place. But then if it's hard to get that help, once you reach out, you just stop. Absolutely. It's probably some of that pridefulness coming into place as well. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you? Um, parts of it. No, actually, that's not true. I am probably the happiest person I've ever met in my life um, today. And so I guess I would, but only if I could just fast forward to now. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go through it again. However, I I don't want to not feel how I do today. I, 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 I want I wouldn't feel the way I do today or be who I am today without the experiences that I've had, but I definitely, I would never, I would never relive my childhood again. I would rather die. Um, (laughs) but, um, there's a few years, uh, in the timeframe of wanting, of attempting suicide that I would never want to live again. Um, but the rest of it, hell yeah, I would do it again any day. 
What advice would you give to someone enlisting? Know what you want. Know what you want and figure out what it takes to get that and research stuff. Like if I had researched into being an MTL before I just did it, I would have realized I was going to hate it and maybe I wouldn't have done it. But the only thing I was focused on was getting to Texas and how could I get there? And, um, but just know what to expect and research it. And if you know what to expect, then you know what you need to do. Um, don't just, just, don't just jump into things, look into it, think about it. Sophia, for the benefit of those who've never served in the military that may be listening to the podcast, could you explain what an MTL is? Um, an MTL is a military training leader, which is um, basically a secondary drill instructor. Um, after you go through boot camp, you go to your training school. Um, and I was the sergeant in charge of the training school. Um, so I actually ran the drill team. Um, it's not quite as intense or as strict as boot camp. Um, but it is uh, a lot more strict uh, than the, the, the functional Air Force. Yeah, they still go through a phase system, correct? They sure do. Yep. yep. That way you don't have people going crazy once they get out of basic. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Yeah, and I was uh, Fort Sam Houston, and they had just started up the, the joint forces for the medical. Yep. And when I got there, there was 14 MTLs, me and, me and 13 others, and there was 10 airmen. By the time I left, there was 1,200 airmen and 20 MTLs. So, yeah, it. Um, <clears throat> but it was a two billion dollar dormitory, and it was it was. That's not what I went through. I remember going through Shepherd. <laughs> Everything was falling off. And <laughs> so yeah. I did Lackland, and then I went to Chanute, which is oh. longer. So it pretty pretty dilapidated. In fact, yep. my son graduated. Uh, Air Force Basic, um, I want to say early 2016, and I went down to Lackland for his graduation, and I went to my old barracks. <laughs> I was, was it like, redone? No, it's still. Oh, they've redone a lot of them. It was. Wow. And he was in the brand new one. Is where oh. he but I went down all the way to the other end of the base, Across from the old Chaparral, which is not even there any longer either. The Chaparral Rec Center used to be there, and I'm across. The, we were literally across the street from that in our barracks. So, but they were they were there from the 40s and 50s. That's what we yeah. stayed. Yep. Uh, yeah. Probably the same mattresses too. Man, those green plastic mattresses. <laughs> God. Yes. Oh, and another thing is going into basic training. Before you leave, eat as much as you can and sleep as much as you can because you're not going to get to do either of those things for about right. two months. Right. <laughs> I'm to go to the bathroom really fast too. Yeah. Oh, and get yourself in shape. If you go in, if you're in shape and you go in, you're gonna sort of survive. You're gonna get killed, but you're gonna if you go in and you're not in shape, oh my god, you're gonna hate your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is there um is there anything that you wish civilians would understand about our military, um, or our vets? Um, the biggest thing that I wish people would really get is that not everything is a choice in the military. Um, there's a lot of decisions made for you and you don't get the, the op you can't say no. 
you, you can't turn it down. You just have to do what you're told to do. And if you don't, you go to jail. And it's not just regular jail, it's military jail. And that's even worse. And um, the biggest, yeah, for those that aren't in military, you don't get to choose everything. Things that happen, they happen to you, not not a choice that you made. Um, I I can't, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot that I want to say, but I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I remember a, a funny story. I remember um, I was at Lackland and I had base pass. So I was somewhere on base. I can't remember what I was. I ended up passing the correctional facility. And I literally, uh-huh. saw, I literally saw people outside, hands and knees on the grass, cutting the grass with school scissors, like the round yep. top, <laughs> the safety ones. And they're yep. literally the grass with those. And I was like, I don't know what they did, but I don't want to do what they did. And I don't want to go there. <laughs> yep. Yep. And yeah. And in the, in the regular world, they could never make somebody do that in the military. They can make you do whatever they want. So don't think you have any power or control. Cause you don't. <laughs> oh, and the other thing for those that have been in the military, don't be afraid to reach out for help and don't feel guilty or ashamed if you need it. Agreed. There's plenty of help to go around. Don't feel like you Somebody else deserves it more. Exactly. Yeah. As much as anybody else does. Yep. And your experience when you get help will help somebody else. Exactly. And you should never compare your experience with anybody else's anyway, because we're all individuals. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to share before that we might have missed? Um, not that I can think of. No. Of course, I'm going to think of 10 things later, but <laughs> <There it goes. laughs> uh, this has been, I think, an incredible insight into how different everyone's first, everyone's experience in life is. And secondly, how different military, <clears throat> how different your experience is um, from each individual in the military. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So definitely, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your service. Um, Thank you for coming on today and and sharing your story and being so open with us. Um, It's an incredible journey that you've been on. And I'm so happy to have um, met you. And hopefully sometime I can meet you in person. I'm sure Homeland Heroes will probably cross, uh, paths will cross at some point. Um, But yeah, Um, Dave, anything else you want to say before we jump off? Um, I appreciate your time as well. Thank you for your service. One veteran to another. Um, I hope at some point we might be able to meet. There's a few things that wouldn't mind talking about offline. Um, that, that I think would make sense for both of us, but, um, just, just on experiences and, and life in general, so to speak. But, um, I really appreciate your time. You're being willing to be open, transparent, not many people want to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of their lives. And uh, like I said, the people that typically do are the ones that you typically should look for for leadership. So I, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's an honor to uh, to have gotten to do this. And thank you for your service as well. So that concludes uh, Thea's story. Thank you for joining us for the last part. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members 
veterans in their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.